Yeah. Sons of, sons yeah. of Barn. Episode six. Shut up, man. I'm talking. Up. Oh, <laughs> hey, you haven't said a thing about where I'm at. What does it look like I am? You're in Connor's room. I'm from Connor's room. I'm going to catch a disease in here, man. It's like his clothes are hanging up back there and stuff hanging up on the wall. But uh, you see our house, our rules back there. From uh, We're excited today. Episode six. And uh, it's March Madness week as we record this. Also, today is St. Patty's Day. Top of the morning to you. I come in. Not wearing green on. Neither do you. What are you supposed to do if somebody doesn't wear green? You're supposed to pinch them. That hurt right there. I got you. <laughs> um, oh, man. Hang on. There. Oh man. Yeah. How you like that? Like an L. How you like that, man? Oh, for, yeah. for a leprechaun. Looks yeah, cool, doesn't too. it? You like that? Can you hear me? I, uh, it is a lot of things, but cool isn't one of them. You know what I mean? Hey, <laughs> you're just jealous. That's that, just, that just shows how big your noggin is right there. You know what I mean? This thing barely fits my head, man. Barely fits my head. Anyway, happy St. Patty's Day to everyone today. St. Pat hey, this day, 25 years ago, guess what I did? What? I asked Cheryl to marry me. Did you really on St. Patty's Day? Yeah, total accident. Had no clue it was St. Patrick's Day. And after she said yes, she goes, oh, man, it's St. Patrick's Day. And so now every St. Patrick's Day, we I celebrate it. I don't know if she does, but, you know. That's how that goes. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, hopefully, hopefully this year on uh, St. Patty's Day, we're gonna have a new addition to the family. Woo! That's right. What's your uh, little Emerson? Is that gonna be her name? Emerson? Yeah, Emerson. Yes. Jake and uh, Rebecca. Yeah, as they she'll be reborn any day now. So when this hits uh, on this day, she should already be here, shouldn't she? I don't know. It'll be close. Yeah, I'm not probably. sure. It could be any day. It could be today, tomorrow. I mean, you don't know. Well, we'll be looking. Hey, look for that good news. Hey, there's a lot going on today. We got, uh, we'll yeah. be great uncles again. We're already great uncles, but, you know, now every birth just confirms that. And uh, St. Patty's Day, and there's big news coming out of the sports world. Somebody unretired this week. You see that? Oh, yeah. Uh, Giselle Brady, uh, unretired. Giselle. Somebody <laughs> I said, can't believe that he's still playing. He honestly is still good enough. I mean, I don't know how the dude is still as good as he is. He's older than me. I'm 42. Isn't he old? Is he, how old is he? He's 45. 44? Tom 45? 45. Yeah. Dude. And he's still one of the top three quarterbacks legitimately in the NFL. Like, he's unbelievable. How, yeah, he, how, how has he been good this long? Like, it's know. unreal. I really don't know. And I, you know what scared him? I saw a report yesterday that uh, Bruce Arians had been looking at film of Baker Mayfield, and uh, yeah. they were putting a, a file together about him, and Brady's like, huh, I don't think so. Yeah. So he came back. So I was hoping this would happen so the Browns could get anybody besides Baker, man. Hey, what do you think about getting Amari Cooper? What do you think about that? Fantastic trade. What did they give up, a fifth and a sixth? Yeah. They ju I just seen they just cut Jarvis Landry, but hey, 
Yeah. It's all right, man. That's it. We got enough. We got tight ends. We got, you know, they're going to draft a wide receiver too. They might even sign another. We'll be, hey, dude, we, the offense is fine. It's the defense is what needs yeah. a little bit of work. Defensive line, we're going to lose Clowney. We need a, yeah. we need a, another pass rusher besides Garrett. The yeah. defense is what needs work. Garrett can't be our only man, pass rusher. And you have Chubb, Hunt, Ernest Johnson would be a starter on any other team in the league. We have three yep. of the best running backs in the NFL. I mean, yep. it's unbelievable. So the yep. offense is fine. Yep. I think um, – Hey, are you are you uh, a ventriloquist? Are you making that noise with your mouth closed, that uh, bark? <laughs> a stupid dog, man. A stupid... <laughs> hey, is that Gus? Is yeah. that Gus? He can hear hey, Uncle I Justin. Gus. I like Gus, man. He's my favorite, man. Tell, tell That's your, a cool dog right there. Tell your Gus story. Oh, man. Remember? The first time that I met Gus, man, Brian goes to leave. I'm up by myself in the living room. He puts him in the cage. He's there in the cage sleeping. And everything's fine. I'm laying there half asleep. And all of a sudden, I hear, <laughs> I look over, man. He's vomiting in the corner. And like flopping around, having a seat. I'm like, what is happening? And he's in, he's licking it up. He's vomiting, having a seizure, <laughs> licking up the vomit. I'm like, oh. this dog's dying in front of me. This dog is dying. So I call Brian. Brian, dude, this dog is freaking out. It's having a seizure, vomiting everywhere, licking it up. And what did you say to me? I, I said, ah, he'll be all right. <laughs> yeah. He said, oh, he'll be all right. And then. I took him out and he was fine. He started he started licking my face after, after he, he licked vomited. up his vomit. He yeah. was fine. Yeah. I don't know. I thought he was having a seizure and dying or something, but he, I guess he was just playing or something. I don't know what he was doing, but he vomited, licked up the puke, and then licked my face. So hey, well, we bonded ever since then. You know what I mean? The vomit in your face kind of looked the same, so that's why he was confused, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but I, man, that scared me. I thought, man, this dog's dying on my watch, man. They think they're going to think that I killed it or something. I like that oh. dog. I like every time I walk by Gus after that, he'll lay on his back for me to rub his belly every yeah. time. He's a good failed. boy. He's a good boy. And do boy. you remember when me and mom was there, man, every animal that you have, you have how many dogs and cats? I uh, mean, do more, you than have? I, more than I'm comfortable with. Just, just say that. But all, yeah. However many there was, whenever, wherever mom would sit, they would all be on her shoulders, by her legs, at her feet. Oh, yeah. Were they her lap? She was like Ace Ventura, pet detective. Yeah. I mean, those pets were everywhere, weren't they? Yeah, mom was never an animal lover. Like, we had, what, two cats in our entire life, and yet animals yeah. just, just calmed they down. Calmed right beside her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, were all, they were all over the whole time, and I have pictures of it. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. She had yeah. two cats up here on her shoulders, two dogs on her lap, a bird down on her ankle. I'm like, what's happening in here? Do you even have a bird? And it just flew in there. Like, what's happening here, man? <laughs> hey. hey, that's like that's like the donut story, man. When Brian's like, hey, uh, would you like some donuts? After I just looked in there and seen Gus going to town, licking all the sugar off the thing. Hey, Justin, you want some donuts? No, I don't want no donuts, man. The dog just licked all over them. He goes, oh, man, they're fine. These things are fine. No, they're not fine, man. A dog just vomited and then licked all over them, man. Hey, you know why they were fine, don't you? Me. 
They were three dollars and seventy six cents a piece. That's why they were five. <laughs> See, that is how you and Deke are alike, man. Tight yeah. doesn't describe the word. You're, to open your guys' wallet would be like you need three cans of WD forty and a chisel. Hey, do not even try to put me in the same stratosphere as the Deekster. Mine at least does. Mine has to open when I'm around him. I mean, nobody else can do nothing about it, man. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah, those are. Thank you for that. Now I'm the king of the tightwads. Hey. You think? My money hey, never stays in my wallet. Man. That was good. Hey, well, man, Gus, them donuts cost three seventy. Man, Gus licked all of them. Hey, they're still fine. Go ahead and eat them. And then mom fine. sticks up for you. Then mom sticks. Oh, go ahead and eat them, Justin. There's nothing wrong with it. What do you mean? Has well, everybody lost their mind? Chicken, hey, chicken Little. He only ate Brian, If you call me Chicken Little anymore, <laughs> I'm going to be Chicken Little in your face, man. I don't find out what that means at all. I definitely don't want to find Dude, out. Dude, this means. is priceless right now. You're holding that, those headphones up. That hat looks so tight on your noggin, man. It's about to bust. Well, this is a $4.99 hat at Meyer. It's holding the head. And these headphones, look, they won't. When I put this on, now see the hat. Whatever. Hey, St. Patrick's Day will never be the same again now. No, you know what I, I mean? I just had to have something festive because I knew I couldn't count on you to do anything to make this today. I've got song. green on, but I can't show you where. You know what I mean? No, you can't, and no, you won't. <laughs> you will not. <laughs> we have lost the five people that were watching this thing yeah, right there, man. I know. For well, sure. it was five. Now it's down to two. Yeah, me and you. Me and you. Maybe we'll gain another. It's just yeah. the two of us. Hey, so um, Brady's back. Yeah, Landry just got cut as we were recording here. Sad uh, news. Yeah, Landry's good. Sad news in the West wrestling world that uh, happened this week. Scott Hall, the bad guy, Razor Ramon, passed away. Yeah. Uh, well, he hasn't fans. passed away yet. As of now, as of this moment, he hasn't. But his family is – when his whole family gets there, they're waiting for his whole family to be there. Then they're going to take him off life support. I saw See, Kevin Nash had, put that up. Yeah. 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 He had three – he, he fell, and then he went to have a surgery on his hip, and he ended up having three heart attacks and a, and a blood clot. So, man, that's just bad news, man. That's sad. He's he's not that old. He's in his 60s, but he's in his early 60s, isn't he? I mean, yeah, he's yeah, not but that old, but he, he, abused he had a body. rough life. Yeah, he had a rough lifestyle, and he just really? – Yeah, man, all those wrestlers from back then, man – they got beat yeah. up so bad, and, and uh, from drugs, steroids, and everything. I mean, they they don't live very long. You know what I mean? Stop and think, though. Had he not defected over to WCW when he did, and started the Monday Night War, we just lost another half of our audience here. But for the wrestling geeks, you'll know what we're saying. Um, had he not uh, done that, what would wrestling wouldn't be the same even now? And then Nash no. followed him. Then they formed the NWO. Hogan jumped on at Bash at the Beach, and then they dominated for forever with that whole thing. It, it wouldn't have been the same. He was a pioneer in a lot of ways. Hey, I hate to bust your bubble, bro, but we only got like a couple minutes left before we're yeah. getting booted off again. So. Yeah, so let's let's switch this over today. The coach of the Chipola Indians and for March Madness week. This is the beginning of the NCAA tournament. Uh, coach Donnie Tyndall was kind enough to sit down with two people that uh, 
he really, really probably wishes he hadn't seen, but yeah. he's met anyway. Yeah. He was very kind. Yeah, another. We don't have the time right now, but uh, another episode, you're going to have to tell how you guys met, because I was going to ask that, but then he didn't have enough time. That was There was a couple more questions, but hey, we're going to have him back on again, so I can ask him those questions at another time. So, you know what yes. I mean? Coach Tindall has become a great friend of the show, it seemed like, so uh, yes. a lot of good memories yes. there. Nick, let's kick it over to our interview with Coach Donnie Tindall, and then we'll be back to wrap this up. Okay, buddy. I appreciate you guys. Let's roll with it. Hey, we are honored to be here with uh, Chipola Indians coach Donnie Tindall. Donnie, how are we doing this afternoon? Doing well, doing well. We just got done with a good practice and, uh, you know, I, I won't say the hay's in the barn yet, but it's getting close. We play tomorrow at two. We'll have a film meeting tonight and a walk through tomorrow and then game on, as they say. Now, how excited are you leading up to a game? You just had a good practice. You probably have another one after the film session and all that. Thinking about, are you already on the sideline dressed ready for the game in your mind? Well, I tell you what, people ask me that. I, I don't really get excited. I mean, I love basketball more than anything I, other than my family, of course. But um, what I get excited every day for is practice. Like, I can't wait for practice every day. That's my favorite part of coaching. But for games, I actually am nervous. Now, once the ball's tipped up, I'm good. I'm in my element. That's what I love to do. And there's no jitters after the ball's tipped up. But prior to, I can't say I'm excited, but I can tell you I get nervous. I understand that the nerves hit, you know, no matter what I'm doing right before, no matter how long you've done something right beforehand, it, you're nervous, right? Absolutely. And, you know, I tell people you're not nervous. You probably don't care enough. Sure thing. Sure thing. We're nervous every time we do this. I'm nervous all the time, and it's not going to work. I was very confident that the first episode was in the can and great. And Chicken Little over here, he's always worried. He, he just knew something was wrong. And I hate it when he's right. And he was right. And I was time. right. We're good right, this time. So, yeah. Go ahead. And we're going to try that. We're going to kind of go down the the, uh, the same kind of road we did yesterday a little bit, asking some questions. But you've been uh, St. Catherine, right? That was your first head coaching job. You were assistant at LSU. And where else leading up? To, were you assistant at Moorhead State, too? In that middle Tennessee. And then I got the Moorhead State head job. Yes. Um, and then, of course, for Moorhead State, Southern Miss, Tennessee, and then the G League. And now – leading the charge down there in Chipola, which we'll get to in a minute. But uh, I want to talk about a couple things. When you're heading into a brand-new program, when you're in there and you take over somewhere, we talked about earlier your style of play. Uh, you're looking at what you've got, and you want to try to get them for taking over a new program. How do you go from where you want them to be to where you think they can be? Well, I think the biggest thing is you, you have to recruit – to who you are as a head coach. And I say this all the time, like when you're a head coach, you want your team to embody your personality and have your passion. Now, some coaches are laid back, they're calm, and their teams for the most part are laid back and calm. I'm a fiery guy, I'm an intense guy, I'm a, a demanding guy. So in most instances, my teams end up being really tough, hard-nosed teams that compete and show how much they love to play the game. 
But I think what a lot of guys don't do, especially younger head coaches, is they don't recruit to who they are. They go recruit, well, this guy's a three-star, or this guy's ranked in the top 100, or whatever it may be, instead of recruiting to their personality, their system, their style of play. So with that being said, what you do when you get a program, you take one over, is you got to go find the guys that you think fit you and what you're trying to do. And I think everywhere we've been, whether it was Moorhead State, Southern Miss, my short time at Tennessee, and even in the G League when we were accumulating free agents and making trades to, to get certain players, we did it with who I am in mind and who I want to coach and guys that would enjoy playing for me. Because it's not for everybody, you know, especially in the college level. It's intense. It's demanding. I hold guys accountable. And so you have to go get players that fit that mold. And I think in my short time here at Chipola, we've done exactly that. We've went and got some guys that maybe are quote unquote under the radar guys. And some other schools that passed on or didn't think were quite good enough, but we saw the strengths and who they are rather than, rather than just looking at their weaknesses and knew that they had the mentality, that they love the game, that they had the passion we want and guys that play in our program. And usually when you do that, it bodes well. Yeah, sure. coach, uh, like I asked you yesterday, could you give me a, a couple of your favorite players that you have or a couple players that you think were the best or whatever? You gave good stuff yesterday. Could you uh, tell me that again? I've had a lot of great players. You know, you look at guys like Kenneth Farid, who was an All-American, a first-round draft pick. I had Josh Richardson, who was an early second-round pick, still in the NBA at Tennessee. Obviously, I've coached some great players in the G League. The best college player I've ever coached would certainly be Kenneth. He was a guy that came in 182 pounds. He left at 232, came in the door bench pressing 185. He left bench pressing 335. You're talking about a guy that gained 50 pounds of muscle in four years and increased his bench press about 150 pounds. So he's the best player I've ever coached in college, although as an assistant uh, LSU, we had a kid named Stone Miles Swift, who was the second overall pick in the NBA draft. But my favorite player, and I have a guy on my staff named Brandon Shingles. Brandon played for me at Moorhead State, was a great player, led us to NCAA tournament. But his best friend is my favorite player that I've ever coached, a kid by the name of Leon Buchanan. Leon was an undersized power forward. He was probably an honest 6'2", 6'3". We listed him at 6'5", but he wasn't even close. He was your college transfer who was two-time first-team all-OVC player for me. And even though Kenneth was a sophomore Leon's junior year or senior year and a freshman Leon's junior year and Kenneth was our most talented player, Leon was our best player and our toughest player. And I think the thing that probably made him my most favorite player ever in college is quite simply he's the toughest kid I've ever coached. He brought it every single day. At 6'2", six, 6'3", six, he was outsized, outweighed, out probably everything every single night on the floor, and yet he would dominate his matchup and let us then say tournament for the first time at Moorhead in 25 years. So Brandon's feelings may be hurt a little bit, but 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 Cannon was the guy. He was such a special dude. And i give you a little bit of an idea. He went out and played pro ball a few years in Europe, and now he's a state police officer in Kentucky. So gives you an idea of the type of character that that young man had.
Hey, he's my favorite player too, man. Leon is my middle name. So, hey, I like that guy too, man. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. Especially when you got to call him Officer Buchanan. I mean, uh, you're going to give him respect right away, right there, for sure. Uh, Coach, yeah. we talked a lot about uh, it. This is where I know you. I know probably the greatest day of your life is when you came into the MSU bookstore. You started in uh, 2006, I believe, at Moorhead State. And uh, you were doing a meet and greet in there. My wife was the manager of the bookstore at the time down there. And I walked in. And I'm sure you've never been the same since. Uh, and we'll leave it at that, right? But uh, we met. We shook hands. We talked. And I just remember how warm and inviting you were. And uh, you took the program. We've had some great coaches and some great teams and stuff. But it was it was pure joy to be right there and have the front row seat to watch that all the time. And I said this yesterday. Uh, you know, the bookstore, one of the one of the great things about it, they had a row, they had seats to all the home games. I got to watch Fareed, the Manimal, uh, Mature, and Shingles, and DeMonte Harper, and uh, Don, you know, Stallworth, and, you know, Leon, and all those guys. But uh, Bill Redwine sitting there, the auxiliary president, yelling at the ref. He always called the ref Scooter. You know, I said this yesterday. He's yelling, hey, Scooter, you're missing the good game. You could hear him all over the arena. Some of my best times. Have my kids there, going down there doing a chicken dance. What I love the most, you're a field general down there. I love watching you pace on the sideline. Justin, you got, I know you've seen pictures online. He's dressed like a like he's a mob boss, got the suit on, but never sits down, hands behind his back, pacing, um, always moving around. My wife and I, I know I told you this, we uh, coached the girls' varsity basketball team at our school. We just finished our third season. And I study coaches, and I watch them on the sidelines and how they – how they conduct themselves and interact with the players. I hope you may, you may leave now. You got, I don't want you to get mad, but I took some pictures off the internet. There's a co picture of coach Tindall uh, getting, getting after it right there. I don't know if somebody stole his wallet, but uh, he's going to town right there. Here's my favorite one of you at Tennessee. He cannot be lost in the crowd with that orange jacket on right there, man. He's, he's sporting it. Here he is. Something good happened right there. Arms in the air, ready to celebrate. And this is his teaching moment. That's from Chipola. He's saying, son, if you want to get anywhere, you better stop uh, lazing out on them rebounds right there. That's what he's telling him right there. How, how do you equate that? Mixing in love, discipline, you know, coaching. How do you, how do you mix all that together? Well, first, let me touch on the fact that Bill Redwine would, would yell at official. That really disappoints me that Bill enters in that. You know, that's that shocks me that Bill would ever yell at a referee. But um, yeah. obviously, yeah. he's a great guy and been a great friend to me for a long, long time. I love Bill. But, um, you know, here here's what I'll say. I think your players vibe who you are and what you're about. And when I'm pacing the sidelines like that, it's not for show or it's not for uh, theatrics. That's just who I am. I'm into the game. I'm passionate. I'm energetic. And I think my players vibe that, feel that. And, and it rubs off on them. I really believe that. But, you know, I, uh, I believe in tough love. you got to hold guys accountable, whether it's your best player or the last guy on the bench. You have to, you have to hold them accountable. And that brings everybody together on the same page. So you've seen me, I'll, I'll chew a guy's tail a little bit, but I'll put my arm around him and tell him I love him. And I think there's a balancing act there, but those pictures showed 
you know, other than the one at Tennessee, I, I told Kevin Stallings, you, you, we wore that every time you played Vanderbilt. That was the, that was the orange coat game. So the first time we're playing Bandy and Kevin's a great guy. I walked down to shake his hand. He's kind of looking at me smiling. I said, I know I look like the great pumpkin. You can say it, you know, so <laughs> bad. The other ones are a little bit better, but you know, I, I love the game. I'm into the game. I live for it. I breathe it. And, and I think when you see me pacing the sidelines and into the game, whether it's on the refs or on my players or encouraging a guy, that's just who I am. And uh, I remember getting my first head coaching job. I was 24 years old at St. Catherine College. And, uh, and Billy Donovan was a good friend of mine, is a good friend of mine. And I asked him, I said, give me some advice, coach. And he was the head coach at Marshall at the time. And, and all he said, he said, Donnie, one thing, just be yourself. Just be who you are. Don't try to be Coach Patino. Don't try to be me. Just be yourself. And, and I've always stuck to that, you know, and I, and I think it's worked out for me because, again, we recruit to my personality. But even if a guy's not really totally a Donnie Tyndall clone, eventually they end up being like that because they vibe my passion. And, and that's what you see on the sideline. Yeah, Coach, tell me again uh, about your, your favorite moment or your uh, best moment you can think of as a head coach so far in your whole career. Well, you know, there, there's really two that stick out to me. And, and people, when I say this, may not believe me, but, you know, I played at Moorhead State, and my dream was to always go back there and be the head coach. And people say, come on, Moorhead State's your dream job. Come on now. And it really, it really was because I didn't know get another head coaching job bigger or otherwise and I wanted to go back there and do what only one other guy really had done in the history of the program and that was a guy that's like a second dad to me Wayne Martin and take him back to the NCAA tournament I really felt like we could do that at Moorhead State and so I stayed in touch with a lot of people once I graduated mm -hmm. uh, Bill Redwine was one of them and had the opportunity to come back. And when I was named the head coach, Dr. Andrews and Brian Hutchinson gave me the opportunity to be the head coach at Moorhead State. That probably is one of the top two moments in my coaching career. Just simply being the named the head coach at Moorhead State, my alma mater, was the thrill of a lifetime. But then, obviously, you go to when we beat uh, Coach Patino in Louisville in 2011 in the NCAA tournament. You know, Coach Patino was always a guy I looked up to. He was a guy that, you know, uh, hired a guy off his staff. We didn't necessarily become buddies, but he had me down to watch a couple practices at Louisville. And beating him was surreal to me, you know. And I remember getting videos from people that were out at B-dubs at the time. And when that shot went in, people were literally on the bar dancing, going crazy. And then I had other people send me pictures and videos of people running outside the dorm into the campus yard, going nuts and, and yelling and just going crazy. And, and I tell you, when I took over Morehead State, one thing I tried to do, and I think Brian attests to this in some of the comments he made, I really tried to get the community involved. I tried to rally everybody around our program and make sure that they felt some ownership. And I think because we did that and so many people started following our program and feeling part of our success, that when that shot went in to beat Louisville, 
they felt some ownership in that and like they were part of that shot going in. And, and that's what was special to me because Morehead was a special place to me as a student athlete, going back there and leading them to a couple Wednesday tournaments was a thrill of a lifetime. But when you beat Louisville on that stage, you think about it now, and in, in that state, Louisville, Kentucky are what they are, and you beat them in the state tournament. That's not only the biggest win in the history of men's basketball. That's probably the biggest win in the history of any sport at Moorhead State. And I've had people tell me, like, you know how there's been crazy moments in history, whether it's, you know, the JFK assassination or some dramatic event that people remember specifically where they were when that happened or when that went down. And I've had so many people from Moorhead and across the state over the years say, I remember exactly where I was. I was in 11th grade. I was eating lunch and we're watching on TV or I was at work at the factory and we're all watching it. And, and it's cool that people really put that moment in time into that type of special uh, place in their memory, if you will that it means that much to them that they remember specifically where they were. And it's been over a decade ago now. So that that's pretty cool and pretty special to me. I don't know if there's anything, honestly, that could ever take the place of that particular moment in my coaching career. I had never been associated with a college that close. We lived in Akron. That's where we were born and raised. So Akron U and Ohio state are kind of our colleges, but, um, with my wife working there, especially when she got in the bookstore, it was home and it became home with us. And when you first went the first year, uh, it was, it's like for the first time you get your driver's license. Oh, we're at States in the dance. And I remember going to the uh, down to the center and uh, watching the selection show and seeing where we were going to be at. We drove to Dayton for that game against Alabama State. You remember that? That was that yep. nine foot tall kid they had at center. Yeah. He, he had a last name that was like 32 letters long. <laughs> yes, Indian name. Yeah. Or something like that. It was something like that, wasn't it? It was crazy. Big old dude. And I thought, how are we going to, that's going to be a load. And we beat him. I could not, we were like, we don't know what to do. And then we're going on and then you face Louisville in the second round. And that didn't end well. And I'm not trying to say I can predict the future because I can't, but there was just something about that game where you're like, this isn't it. We're, we're going to be back. A couple years later, beat them in the first round. It was, and I remember where I was. My wife went, um, they got a bus tour to go out. It was at the Pepsi Center, right, in Denver. And um, she went and, and before texting, so I couldn't stay. But I'm on the phone with my buddy. Where he's at, they were five seconds ahead of where I'm at watching it on TV. So before Harper even got the pass to shoot, he yells, he made it. He made it. I'm like, he made what? I didn't know what was going on. And then the shot went in and I went nuts. And uh, I remember standing right in front of my TV set right there. And it was, so I, I thank you for that. It, you, you brought a lot of joy uh, to all of us with that whole run right there. And then um, here's the part I didn't get to talk to you about before. So we're, I just want to touch on it. When you have success, then other people in, in that profession, uh, especially coaching professions, high stress, but it's also can be high reward. You, you get your name out there, you start becoming a, uh, uh, someone that other people come calling to ask about going, how hard is it to stay focused after some success when other schools start coming around and, and start knocking on your door? Well, let, let me go back to your initial statement about the first time in 2009 when we went to the tournament and we played 
We won the play-in game against Alabama State, which was awesome. It was our 20th win of the season. And um, at the time, there'd only been like three or four 20-win seasons in the history of the program. So that was incredible. And then we played Louisville. They were the number one overall seed that year, if you remember. Had had about pros on that team. Terrence Williams, I mean, a bunch of them now. And um, and we were only down two at the half, if you remember. We played them tough. We were right there. And then the second half, it got away from us a little bit. We lost by 15 or 16. But what that did is build a lot of confidence. So two years later, when we're playing Louisville again, and you had a lot of guys that had played in that game, DeMonte Harper, May Stallworth, Kenneth Fareed, you know, guys that had already experienced that. We went into that second game in 2011, and we didn't hope to win. We didn't think we could win. Like, we knew we were going to win that game, and not in an arrogant way, but we just had a nice team. We had a pro in Kenneth. DeMonte was a great guard. Like, we felt like we could beat them. And, and obviously, we played like it and did that. And, and then in regard to, you know, I had some opportunities prior to Southern Miss that probably could have moved on from Moorhead, but it was going to take a special situation for me to leave. I loved it there. It was a second home to me. We were having great success. My president, Dr. Andrews, my athletic director, Brian Hutchinson, who are still close friends to this day, are as good as you could possibly have in those respective positions. And uh, so there wasn't any part of me that was in a rush to leave. You know, Southern Miss was a little bit different because, you know, you're down there in the south toward Louisiana. And I had recruited Louisiana was when I was an assistant at Louisiana State. It was toward Alabama, Georgia, places I had recruited. So I really felt like recruiting wise, it was kind of in in my cup of tea or my my place, if you will, where we could go get some players and have success. And uh, and so that was one that I obviously had an interest in. So, you know, you, you try to keep all of that. You know, I've, I've got a quote in my in my binder from Hubie Brown. And, it, and it's a simple quote, but Hubie Brown's like a basketball legend. You know, he was kind of Rick Pitino's mentor going back 40 years ago. And it's simply this. Just remember in coaching, you're always a half a step from the street. You know, and you think about it. I mean, I'm on top of the world at Tennessee, the youngest head coach in the SEC. And 11 months later, I'm out of a job. And so I've always had that quote in my in my binder. And my point is, I wasn't in a hurry to make the next jump leaving Moorhead because I knew it was a great situation. And I know how quickly you can be out in the street. So I was selective. And uh, even even in doing that to this day, I remember how painful that decision was. I was very excited and grateful for the opportunity at Southern Miss, but it was really, really hard to leave Moorhead State. And, um, you know, in hindsight, if you could do it all over, you probably stay at Moorhead State for 30 years. And you have the gym floor with your name on it someday. But, you know, everybody's trying to get to the mountaintop. And, and I did what I did. But those six years at Moorhead State were probably the best six years of my life. Go ahead, Justin. Yeah, Coach. Uh, yeah, I got one more question for you. I know you got uh, you don't have a lot of time, but I wanted to ask you about uh, recruiting. I mean, you coached a lot of good players. Players have been in the NBA. Tell me about uh, your recruiting style. What do you What are you looking for when you're trying to find someone to play on your team? Like, what are the things that you're looking for? Like, you know what I mean? It, yeah, I know you don't always get five uh, five star blue chippers, but 
you go like you said to go for some guys under the radar like what are you looking for in those players that you're recruiting well the very thing is toughness so when my staff comes to me with a player the first question i ask is is he tough if he's a talent but he's not the toughest guy i just say next move on next guy i just i i don't have any tolerance or time for guys that aren't tough and that's both physically and mentally then the second thing is obviously athleticism our style of play where we press and we and we trap some certain parts of the floor obviously athleticism is important and we feel like we're good enough in skill development that even if a guy's a great athlete but a little bit in between positions we can grow them and develop them into where they have a natural position but if they aren't tough and they're not athletic it's hard to get them to the floor in our style of play so that's the biggest thing and you know I, I give you an example Kenneth Fareed was non-recruited. He's six, 782 pounds. He's in Newark, New Jersey. He's a qualifier, meaning he's academically eligible. And he's in Newark where you have literally probably 20 division one schools within three hours of him, And nobody, nobody offered him a scholarship except me at Moorhead State. And you say, well, why did you? Well, he was tough. He played extremely hard. He was skinny at the time. So he wasn't very strong, but he was super athletic. And I just felt like he would grow into the player that we needed him to be. Now, I'm not going to lie to you and say I ever dreamed he'd be what he ended up being. But because he was tough and because he was athletic, I knew eventually he'd be a pretty good player for us. And then when I was at Tennessee, I recruited a guy, give you a perfect example, Admiral Schofield. Admiral was like a two-star in most of the rankings. And when we signed him, he's a six-five kind of in-between guy at power forward. And I remember the fans kind of questioning, like, why are we recruiting this guy? No other high major schools were recruiting him. But I watched him play enough to know, number one, he was tough. Number two, he was athletic. And I knew eventually we'd develop his skill set. Now, I never got to coach Admiral, but he played four years at Tennessee he scored 1,500 points. He's one of the best players to ever play there. And he ended up being an NBA second round draft pick. And, and again, that's a guy, because he was tough and athletic, I felt like he'd be a good player. So those are the main things. And that's what we've done here at Chipola. We've assembled guys that are tough, that are athletic. We've developed their skill set to help them move on to the next level, et cetera. And, and I think that's the way, I don't think, I know that's the way I'll always do it. Hey, Coach, you're in your second year there at Chipola, um, and you've had a great season. Last year, what were you? Were you 23 and 5? Um, and 23 and 5 is a COVID shortened year, so we didn't play quite as many games, but went to the national tournament, won the state, won the conference, and, and finished in the final four in the nationals. And this year, uh, a good end, this March Madness week, so this is absolutely uh, a, an act of God that, that you're able to talk to us this week with all the it's more than just the, the NCAA tournament. There's a lot of tournaments going on, and you're at the uh, the junior college uh, tournament for the um, over the national one. Um, you've had guys go on though already to D1, and you mentioned those two. Us, can you tell us who those guys were again? You had, you had at least four or five, I think you said. Yeah, you know, last year we're, we're 28 and five. This year we won the conference again. We won the state, and we play tomorrow in the first uh, round of our tournament. There's 24 teams out here at the national tournament. Um, and we actually play the host team, Hutchinson, from here in Kansas. So it's going to be a battle. But last year, we had four guys that signed out of our program. 
And to give you an idea of how good this league is and how good junior college basketball is across the country, but particularly in Florida, we had a kid sign at Florida State. We had a kid sign at Seton Hall. We had a kid sign at Boston College. And we had another young man sign at North Texas. So you're talking four basically high major programs. Uh, so you're coaching real players and, and talented guys. And uh, again, that's a lot of fun, but it also gives you a chance, you know, all four of those guys weren't highly recruited coming into my program. Some of them were not recruited, play one year in my program and end up at high major schools. So it's very rewarding to help young men, young men fulfill and reach their dreams. It's pretty cool. So you come out into an arena somewhere and you see Justin and I out there playing and you think, okay, what can I do with these two lumps of clay to turn them into specimens on my Chipotle Indians team and, and rehab them into somebody that can do something with them? What's the first thing you're going to tell us when you watch our five minutes of our game? Well, I'm going to tell my assistant I'm going to fire their butt for what, having me watch uh, <laughs> And you, the, and you should. <laughs> first thing I'm going to do. And the second thing I'm going to evaluate whether whether you're going to be a screener or, or you're going to be a great role player in practice. That's going to be a hard decision. I, I think I think you, Brian, you probably be a better screener than a shooter or a pick and roll guy. But but all joking aside that the first thing I look at again is just are they tough? And I probably had some guys actually less athletic than you two that were so tough. They found a way to the floor. You know, I'll give you an example. May Stallworth came to Moorhead state. He was my first signee. He didn't even have another division to offer. He had no offers. He's a six, three kind of power forward type guy, but he could shoot the ball. He could really shoot it. So I signed him my first recruit at Moorhead state and he wasn't very athletic. I don't know if he dunked a ball in four years of playing for me, but because he was tough and he had a special, a special skill, which was shooting the ball, he left as Moorhead all-time leading made, made three-point shooter. He was a heck of a player for me. Now, I don't know if either of you guys can shoot it. I'm guessing, I'm guessing you can probably a little bit. Oh, he can shoot? I can shoot it some, yeah. That's about okay. all I can do is shoot. Yeah. You know. I know three. You will bring you up a couple pin downs and staggers and you let it ride. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Let's go. We're on the first plane down at Chipola. We'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> I play. If you need a role player, just look at me and say, Farmer, I need a foul. I can do that right now. There you go. <laughs> and, and you said that Kenneth Reed gained about 50 pounds. I can do that too. I don't know where <laughs> I'll gain it, but. <laughs> <laughs> we all, jeez. I'll tell you what, well, that would be, that's where I get my exercises on the sideline. <laughs> Me Absolutely. too. Absolutely. One of the, the hardest days I know was when you did leave Moorhead State, but I remember vividly when you guys came back to uh, play Moorhead State there at LST Johnson Arena uh, the first time. And there you are, the mob boss on the sideline, Justin, dressing that dark suit and that yellow tie and as guys over there, and we're all crying, seeing it's Coach Tindall, and he's back. The minute that ball tipped, we're like, man, these dudes are fast. They're throwing and dunking. They beat them like 285 or something. I forget what it was. But um, we still loved it. That's the part about you, and you've proven that, how loyal and uh, whole, what a great, compassionate, just uh, good moral human being you are. Because, number one, 
you took time out in two straight days for a couple of yahoos that we'll never forget. It's been the time of our life. And you're a great friend of the show now. You're our first guest ever. And you're not, this won't be your last time, I hope. We want you to come on as much as you want, uh, anytime you want. You can crash the party in the middle of an interview. Okay. Hey, it's Tyndall time. We're coming on here. You know, we don't care. Uh, <laughs> but even during that time, you're kicking our butt. And we're still like, yeah, but that's Coach Tyndall. You're, you're beloved. Justin, they had fatheads of him before fatheads were a thing in the crowd. How do you feel about that? <laughs> well, I remember that vividly. You know, that was the toughest game for me my entire year because Moorhead was such a special place. And coming back, I knew it was going to be very emotional for me. But I also knew how much those guys were going to try to whip my tail that I'd left. And I remember that game, my best player was a kid named Dwayne Davis. And he was about five minutes late for a meeting and I suspended him for the game. And so here we come to Moorhead, a big game for me, obviously a big game for Moorhead. I suspend my best player. He's sitting over there. His attitude was great. He helped coach basically that game, which was great. But we beat him 38. We beat him 38. And it was one, maybe the worst loss they've ever had in Ellis Johnson Arena. And so obviously I was happy we won and proud of my team, but also there was a part of me that, you know, that was kind of hard to, to go put it on them that bad. But I tell you what I remember was, it was so cool to me. And this is another special moment in my career, but I shook hands and we and were leaving the floor and there were people from the stands that had hustled down and literally were lined around the court wanting to visit with me. It took me about 15 minutes to even get to the locker room because I just met all my friends and acquaintances and different people that meant so much to me. And I didn't want to touch every person that was waiting to talk to me. So it literally took me about 15 or 20 minutes to get back to the locker room. But just what you said, those people were excited to see me and either, even though their team lost in a weird kind of way, their team won because I was coaching the team that won and, and they were still my friends and my fans. Yeah, it was a can't lose situation and very, very good. And then as you continue on in, in your path, and I don't know how much time you got left here, so when you need to go, you just tell us. But um, we we thank you for who you are because, and I'm not even going down uh, the other side of the road. I just want to touch on it to tell you what a uh, what a compassionate human being you are, and what a what a uh, to me a model citizen because you've had everybody has hard times. They say hard times don't last, but tough people do and uh you have proven that over and over again and to see you getting to do what you love you say i'm a head coach that's what i want to be and you're taking that opportunity a lot of people would not take the opportunity that you've been given and do the same thing with it but you do how hard is it to not get bitter when hard times come and keep your eye on what you feel like god still wants god has a blessing for you somewhere no matter how hard it is and you've you're a hero of mine. You always have been. And it's a good chance. I'm thankful to tell you that where you can hear me say it because you've come through a lot. And yet you still got that gleam in your eye doing what you love. Well, I appreciate you saying those things. That means a lot, Brian. And, and you know, I think um, without getting too spiritual, um, my first two years, I'll be the first to admit when, when things went down at Tennessee and I lost my job and my career and $10 million and all the things that came with that, um, you know, I was, I was probably not in a good place, you know, for about two years, I probably, and I tell people this, I'm prideful that I bounced back, but I wasted two years of my life, man. 
I was miserable. Uh, I was down and out. Uh, there was no part of me that enjoyed getting up every day. Um, you know, I, I, my second year out, my first year I did TV and radio, but I hated it. Then the second year I got back in coaching for stack. We went out to Toronto and helped coach the, the Raptors G league team. And it was good to be back in a gym, but I was in Toronto, another country away from my family and, and just not in a good spot. And I finally said to myself, after that year, I said, look, man, you got to get through this. You got to practice what you preach to your players, which is getting through adversity, getting through tough times. And I did that. And, you know, I, I have my close immediate family and really about two or three close friends that, that stuck with me and were a big part of me getting through that. And I didn't know if I'd ever get to coach in college again. And people say, well, why would you leave the NBA to go be a, a junior college coach? But I, I knew I was probably never going to be a head NBA coach. And not that I'm better than any NBA assistant because there's way better assistants in the NBA than me. But I just didn't want to be an assistant coach. And, and Coach Casey said I would be at some point in time. And I appreciated that. But I wanted to be a head coach. And this gave me an opportunity to do it even though it's at the junior college level, it's a very high level of basketball. And like I just said, the players that signed where they signed, like it's good players, it's great competition. And that's who I am. And, and you're right about having a gleam in my eye. I, I thank the good Lord every day for the opportunity that he's given me. And I tell people all the time, like not everybody's path is perfect. Not everybody's path is is without bumps in the road or in some cases canyons in the road that you got to get through and um, God has a plan for you and you've got to stay true to that and understand that and, and that's what I've done I've always had a strong faith but I've leaned on that the last five or six years even more than I ever have and with close friends and, and, and a strong family we've got through it and and honestly, I'm at a point in my life where I absolutely love what I do. And it'd take a real special situation, even when my show causes up, to leave doing what I'm doing. I absolutely love it here. Yeah, Coach, tell us about, tell us real quick about the tournament that you're in and how we can watch you, how we can watch Chipola College uh, dominate in the tournament. Well, yeah, I hope we dominate. We Like I said, we've got... <laughs> first round matchup against the host school Hutchinson out of Kansas they're a great team and um, you know you can go to njcaa.com and you can log on it's like ten dollars a game to watch us play and and in the tournament there's some great players out here now I mean some real we watched some games last night who some serious guys that'll end up playing at high major schools across the country there's great coaches at this level a lot of young coaches that'll eventually be division one head coaches down the road and so it's a great tournament a lot of great players they say there's been already 250 division one schools out here to watch the games in the first two days so it gives you an idea of the talent level that's here and uh, hopefully we play well our team's had really good practices I think we're prepared and ready and hopefully we can overcome that home court advantage Hutch is going to have but but I think we'll be ready to go man how does Hutchinson get the host it's like Tampa Bay and uh, the Rams hosting the Super Bowl the last two years. How do you pull that off? Well, it's it's every year it's been here for about the last 50 or 60 years. 
and it's just kind of the home to junior college basketball. Obviously, they have a huge arena. The city really uh, takes in this tournament, and it's a year-long deal that they prepare for, and, and they, they embrace it, and they do a great job of hosting it. And Hutch basketball has always been good. They're great again this season, and unfortunately, we got the draw that we happen to play them. We're a higher seed. We're the five seed overall, and they're the 12 seed out of 24 teams. Uh, so on paper, we'll be the favorite, but we all understand when the team has home court advantage, that's tough to overcome. But, you know, we went to Northwest Florida, who has a top 10 program and won the state tournament on their home floor and beat them in the semis. So hopefully we can do the same thing here against Hutch. And now Chipola, did you say that's close to Destin, like an hour away? Yeah, it's about an hour and 15 from Destin and about an hour from Panama City. So. I can assure you when this thing's over, you'll, you'll find me on the beach somewhere. Hey, take some pictures of that so we can put that up on our uh, website and our, our Twitter and Facebook and stuff for sure. Um, so you get this done, uh, you know, the tournament's over with, and then your season is done. Give us, give us a little quick insight into the life of a coach. Somebody wants to be a coach and say, okay, it's just during the season. Sorry, son, it's 12 months out of the year. This is done. You get back home. Then what? Well, we've, already got, we've already got recruiting visits lined up for the weekend after we get back. Uh, and it'll continue to be where we're out evaluating players and bringing kids to campus for official visits, trying to, you know, assemble our roster for next season. And, um, you know, we, what we say here at Chipola, we don't, re, we don't rebuild, we reload. And oh, here he is. Here he is. Hey. There you go. He must Did have you get yeah, we got we got it to where you said we don't uh, we don't what was it we don't you reload that's what you said. Okay, we lost you after that, but you sure look good there on the screen. That's a great snapshot <laughs> of you. Well, we get we I'm sure you got to probably go, so we're gonna let you go here. But um, we can't thank you enough. I think I told you before in our family, there's two besides family. It's Jesus and sports. That's all we are about. We love God and we love sports. And unfortunately, he was the most athletic one in the family. He played more sports than we ever did. We tried to play it, but we we wanted to get into broadcasting. We love to write about it. We love to watch it. We love to coach it. It's what we're all about. You are you are giving us the the thrill of our life here uh, today. So we sure appreciate your time and to be able to reminisce and uh, reconnect here. And I and I feel like we're not going to lose touch. We're gonna we're big Chipola fans, but we're bigger Donnie Tindall fans. Well, I appreciate that, guys. I've, I, I uh, really appreciate you having me on. I'll be glad to come back another time if you ever want me. And uh, I, I hope all, all the success in the world to you guys. If you would, send me the tweet, and I'll retweet it for you and try sure. to help you podcast a little bit. And, uh, again, I appreciate it. Moorhead's a special place, guys. All, all my people there are special, and memories will never leave me. And I appreciate you having me on. I I really do. Hey, thanks a lot, Coach. Man, you're you're unbelievably gracious, man. Thank you for coming back two days in a row. Hey, you're you're number one in my book, man. You're always welcome here. I appreciate it. Send me that T-shirt now. Oh, that's oh, getting. Yeah. Oh, we got, got it. that. It's in a box. It's ready to come. But get down there. Just send me <laughs> your address, and uh, we won't let that get out anywhere, obviously, because we don't need your box filled with that. But the T-shirt's on the way. And uh, I'm going to get on the Chipola, Chipola uh, shop and get a hat and a mug, too, and get some gear up here.
So we'll be able to wave the flag up this way for you for sure. But you're welcome anytime. Good luck in the tournament. We love you. Take care. God bless you. Okay, guys. God bless. Thank you. That was Coach Donnie Tindall. Uh, we had a little interruption there because we've got the free Zoom that only lasts 30 minutes. <laughs> so we had to do a new link and cut it back in. Nick, Nick DeQuick back there doing a great job with all the stuff. But, Coach, good luck this week. Make sure you catch the Chipola Indians. Yeah. Get on the Chipola Athletic uh, Facebook site there and follow them. Quality, class act, great human being there. And uh, he'll be back again to be on the show, and we sure appreciate his time. Um, so, hey, remember – what, catch March Madness, fill out your bracket. Uh, another great St. Patrick's Day today. And uh, we will be back in two weeks with who knows what. We're just, we're continuing to grow. And thanks for jumping on here with us. Justin, anything to close with? Be safe, be smart, and be yourself. You know what I'm saying? Happy St. Patty's Day, all you greenies. Woohoo!